Please be seated. Well, good morning. Today and for the next eight weeks, I'm going to be doing a sermon series called Healing Choices. Now, it's a companion to the class that we're doing on Wednesday nights here called Life's Healing Choices. Um, and if you're taking that class or you're thinking about taking that class and joining us, um, this series will cover the same eight principles, but it's going to narrow the focus down so that we concentrate on the choices themselves a whole lot more. So I hope it'll be helpful to both folks who haven't been taking the class and those who are thinking about it, but also those of you who have not. The truth is that we all go through some hard life at some times, don't we? Uh, some of the things that we go through uh, happen because of our own choices, and some of them are brought on by the choices of other people. The choices we make can help us or hurt us, and some of the choices can move us closer to God, and some can move us closer or, or further away. And uh, we need to learn how to keep moving towards God in spite of all the things that we've been through. And, and, and we need to be moving towards healing in our lives. Now, we're not denying where we've been. And uh, we're not denying some of the really hard things that we've been through. But rather, I want to focus in this series on some biblical principles that I believe will help to strengthen you. There's an insert in your bulletin today. We, we don't do this very often, but there's one in your bulletin today so that you can follow along. And there are extra copies at the back if you didn't get a bulletin today. And uh, would you pray with me as we get started? Lord God, you are Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. You have promised in your word that for those who revere your name, the sun will rise with healing. Lord, we need healing. And we need refreshing. Lord, we need new life and strength. We know you love us no matter what. Help us today to hear you and to respond to you. We ask that you would reveal yourself to us and in us. And we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, I would encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be beginning this series on the Beatitudes. It's grounded in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. You ever heard of a game called Whack-A-Mole? You ever played that game? It's an evil game. In Whack-A-Mole, those moles pop up out of the holes, and, and you take a big padded hammer, and you smack them on the head, and you knock, knock them back down into that hole, right? And so you knock one down, what happens? Two pop up usually, right? So then you go boom, boom, and you get those guys down, and what happens? Three pop up, and you go bam, 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 you're knocking those down. And, and as soon as you do that, more come up, and it just keeps going on and on, and like that, it just doesn't end. And you might get frustrated. The thing about this game, and, and it's why it's evil, is that you just can't win it. You can't win it. No matter, now you might get some tickets off it for every one of your hits, but you can't ultimately win the game. No matter how many times you knock them down, they keep coming back up, and it makes you 
want to give up. Well, the joyful news I want to share with you today is that whack-a-mole is a metaphor for your life. <laughs> well, not really, but just about. You know, just about the time you, you knock one problem down, then what happens? Another one pops up, right? Another problem pops up, and you whack that one down, and two more come up, and you whack that one down, and three more come up in your life, and that's life. Whack-a-mole. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week. <laughs> that encouraging word. <laughs> this is also true of our persistent sins, isn't it? Not just problems, but persistent sins and temptations that we have. Uh, just about the time you think you've gotten victory over the weaknesses in your life, uh, it pops back up again. Have you noticed that? Notice how hard it is to defeat some of those things. And, and you can go and read... There are shelves, Kindles full of self-help books that you can go and read. And, and what do they usually do? They try to teach you how to whack the mole faster. But it doesn't eliminate the mole. But that's not what God's Word does. God's Word teaches us how to end the game, how to finish the game with sin, how to unplug it so it doesn't get any more power in our lives. And these moles don't just keep popping back up. We've all made choices in our lives that don't help us. Uh, we stay up too late when we should be going to sleep. I do that. We eat or drink extra calories that we know we shouldn't. I, I know, I do that. <laughs> we make commitments that we just can't possibly keep. Have you ever felt you ought to exercise, but then you don't? I do that. <laughs> Have you ever tried to take control of your life or a circumstance or another person and then you found that you couldn't? You ever tried that? I think probably most of us have at one point or another. Do you know the Apostle Paul struggled with a lot of these same things? Um, the Apostle Paul, greatest Christian next to Jesus, and, and he says, I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do, I end up doing. I know that nothing good lives in my sinful nature. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Now, some theologians have tried to rationalize this way and said, this is Paul talking, you know, before his conversion, before he knew Jesus, especially the Christus Victor people. And, and they said, you know, everything has to be a victory. And that's not what this is saying. Um, the verbs here are in the present tense as he's writing. And that means I'm doing this right now. That means I'm struggling with this right now in my life as I'm writing this. In your bullet this morning on that insert, there's a, a list of things that you might be struggling with. And, and I want to put this up here and I want you to take a look at that list and, and maybe just take a moment and circle a few of those things that just keep popping up in your life that, that you struggle with. You know, there's a lot of stuff up there, you know, stress and fears, overwork, attractions, addiction, regrets, diet, worry, bad habits, anger, dishonesty, the need to control yourself or other people, finances, relationships, painful memories, 
perfectionism, resentment. We could go on and on. That list could be two or three times longer than that, couldn't it? Uh, I hope you circled a few things on your list uh, because if you did, that means you're part of the human race. We all struggle with something. And if we circled any of those things, then you're in the right place this morning because uh, here in church is the best place for us to heal and to grow. Uh, so what's the cause of all these problems? Where do they come from, all these things that, that keep popping up in our lives? You know that every problem in your life has a root cause. And that root cause is this one. It's playing God. At the core, it's about playing God. When I act like God and I make my choices instead of doing what God tells me to do, I know I'm going to have some problems in my life. My, our oldest temptation is the temptation to play God. It started way back in the Garden of Eden. You know, if you think about it, uh, God says, don't eat this one, and, and you can have everything else, but Satan shows up and says, if you eat this, you're going to be like a God. And they head straight for the tree, and they eat the fruit. God says, don't do it, and they do it. That is almost the definition of sin right there. Sin is disobeying God. It's doing anything that we know God does not want us to do or to be. And it's choosing to do what God tells us not to do. So there's not doing and doing. The, the New Age movement, you're familiar with the New Age movement, popped up in the 1980s. Um, uh, they wanted you to think you could be like a god. Shirley MacLaine was kind of like the poster girl for that era. She wrote a bunch of books and did a couple of movies. She did a movie called Out on a Limb. I don't know if you ever saw that. It's um, kind of a waste of good celluloid, but at the end of the movie, she's on the beach just as the credits roll, and she's jumping up and down, jumping up and down, and she's going, I'm a god! I'm a god! I am god! You know, jumping up and down. Uh, it's like, oh my goodness. But that's kind of the philosophy of the New Age movement. Uh, somebody once said that New Age should be pronounced newage because it rhymes with sewage. Think about it. If you were a god, you could solve all of your problems. But you're never going to be God. And you're not like God. He's making us like him as we come closer to Christ, but we are not God, and we need to recognize that. It's our oldest temptation, and it comes from Satan, and it's caused by our pride. Ezekiel points this out to, uh, to the king of Tyre. He says, in the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God, but you're just a man and not a God, though you think you are as wise as a God. I know a few people like that, you? Oh, yeah. Inside your head, you're doing this. I know. I know. You know people like this. When God tells you to do something and you don't do it, and every time God tells you not to do something and you do it, guess what you're doing? You're playing God. You're saying, I actually know what will make me happy or more happy than God does. You know? 
that's the source of practically all of our problems. It's, it's the root. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 23, that pride ruins people. You are your own worst enemy. You cause most of your own problems. And this is a problem that we all have to deal with first. We have to deal with this playing God stuff. So what's the cure to this? Well, the cure is what we're going to be looking at over the next eight weeks, but we're going to be looking at specifically the eight Beatitudes of Jesus. Uh, they're the first eight statements in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount by telling the gathering crowd about eight ways that you can be blessed. Who are the ones who are going to be blessed by God? They're the ones who do or become like what he's teaching, right? Like each one of these things, each one of these statements. We call those the Beatitudes. And he says, if you do these things, you will be blessed. Well, what does it mean to be blessed? Boy, I hear all kinds of definitions of blessing these days. You know, blessing comes in many forms. Lots of, lots of people think it's the, the great God, Benjamin Franklin, you know, or whoever's appearing on the dollars that you're coveting. You know, we worship that God a lot. We think of that as blessing. But the word blessing, literally translating in this place from the Greek, means happy, to be happy. To be blessed means to be happy. Now, it's, it's not a surface kind of a happy. It's more closer to joy. It's that kind of happiness that comes, that God gives you when you have gone through these kinds of circumstances, when you have lived according to God's word and endured, and, and God blesses you in those things. It's deeper than passing happiness and much closer to joy. I've shared before that the Brethren in Christ Church, the church that we belong to, um, that for more than 200 years, the center of, our, center of our faith and practice has been the teaching of Jesus. And the center of the teaching of Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount. Historically, we have believed that following the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount will fulfill or help us fulfill all of the rest of what the Bible teaches. Because Jesus brings it down, he, he focuses, he gets it right there in that one space. It's a summary. So what is our first choice? Our first choice, if we're going to be moving away from the hurt and moving towards the healing. Well, that first choice that first choice is the first beatitude. It's the first one. It's the first choice for getting rid of your habits and your hurts and your hang-ups and any of the mess that's in your life. Uh, and, it, and it starts in Matthew 5 and verse 3. Let me put that up. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Will you say that out loud with me this morning? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying you can't get into heaven pridefully. You can't. It's all by grace. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? In your outline, you might want to circle that phrase that says, in spirit. 
It's not talking about physical poverty. He's talking about spiritual poverty, recognizing things like the sinfulness in my life, recognizing my helplessness and sometimes my hopelessness without God. One translation says, blessed are those who recognize that they are spiritually helpless. That's what he's talking about, recognizing spiritual helplessness in our lives. And it, it means I need to admit that I need help that I'm powerless to control my ability to do the wrong thing. The sin nature keeps cropping up in my life, and my life becomes unmanageable without God to manage it. God says, if you develop this attitude of spiritual poverty, if you would admit that you're powerless on your own, that you need God's help in your life all the time, then you will be blessed. It's the first step. It's the first thing. So how do I develop that attitude? Uh, they don't call them be attitudes for nothing. You know, it's, these are things we're supposed to be and do, but also to be. You need to be poor in spirit. How, how do I develop the attitude of being poor in spirit? The Bible teaches us really three ways. The first one is to humbly admit then I need help. I've got to face the truth about me. <laughs> I've got to stop living in denial. That's why we call this the reality choice. Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And that is true. You know, when you come to Jesus, God opens your eyes. And, and it's interesting. I found early on in my Christian life that some of the things I saw when God opened my eyes were not so pleasant, especially during self-examination, when I started looking at myself. Uh, I have to face the truth about me. But the truth about the truth is that sometimes we don't like the truth. Isn't that true? <laughs> we avoid it. We fake it till we make it. The truth is painful. It feels a whole lot safer to not look closely at the truth about me. The truth may set me free, but it can first make me pretty miserable when I see all the things that have to be changed. And it can feel a little overwhelming. God wants us to move and operate one piece at a time, one step at a time. So I, I have to humbly admit that I need help because I'm, I'm not going to be able to overcome all these things that he reveals to me by myself. I've tried and I've failed. We need to be honest with God. The good news is that your habits and your hurts and your hang-ups can be healed. The bad news is it takes humility. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to swallow your pride. James says this about that. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I'm, we sang about grace this morning. But what is grace? Well, it's the free gift of God. Well, that's good. That's a good definition. doesn't really tell us anything. Grace is what God gives you. But part of that grace is is what he gives you, pours into your life when you come to know him. And part of that is the power that you need to change. 
the next eight weeks, if you are fully honest with God and you submit to him for change, I think you're going to see some radical changes in your life. But it's not going to happen by willpower. Willpower doesn't work. How many diets have you tried? And they didn't work. How many exercise programs did you start? And they didn't work. What you need is the grace of God. Grace is the power that you need to change. And so I want God's power so I can change. And if I want that, I have to be humble. What does it mean to be humble? Well, you know, the first thing you need to admit is, I'm broken. Boy, that's an unpopular phrase these days. <laughs> I'm broken. We don't say those kinds of things about ourselves. The human potential movement has taught you to never say that you are broken. The name and claim it prosperity gospel group, of which there are many, they say never make a negative confession. Don't say you're broke. But the truth is we are all broken by sin. Sin has changed us so that we are not at all what God intended us to be when he created us. So we've got all kinds of people in this world who are trying to do and to be things that God didn't ever intend for you to be. You don't have to look far. You see it on the news. You see it outside your door, in the grocery store, maybe in your family. We are trying to be things that God didn't intend for us to be. We live in a broken world, and sin changed everything. You know, it's like, like think of marriage. You can't expect two broken people to get married and have a perfect marriage. Because at some point, there's going to be some problems. Just ain't going to happen. You're not going to have a perfect marriage. Because you can only work with what you got. We sang that line this morning too. I like that. You've been broken by nature. You've been broken by nurture. You've been broken by sins that you've committed. Uh, you've been broken by sins that have been done to you. You've been broken by choices. You've been broken by circumstances. Fact is, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same place. Nobody is perfect. I'm broken. Most of us just don't want to admit it. So let me ask you a very important question. Today, what are you pretending isn't a problem in your life? That's a hard one. What are you pretending is not a problem in your life? You know, I, I can't work on the sins in my life until I admit the sins in my life. I can't work on the hang-ups in my life and the places I'm stuck if I don't admit those things exist. I can't work on the fear in my life until I admit the fear in my life. Here's a simple rule. I must admit it to defeat it. Here's another thing. It's my pride and my fear that keep me stuck. My pride and my fear keep me stuck. Keep me from going forward in a, in a beautiful and victorious life. And here's another thing. I, I don't want anybody to know my weaknesses. 
I want to keep those as hidden as I possibly can. And at the same time, I'm scared to death of my own weaknesses. And that keeps me from getting healthy or whole, from growing and from getting unstuck. The second thing is that we need to humbly ask God for help. You know, we admit that we need help on this side, but it does absolutely no good if we don't go anywhere for that help and get help. And, and, and so we must humbly ask God for help. I admit that I ask. I admit I need help, and then I ask God's help for it. I'm moving from confession to petition. I'm asking God for help. You know, it's like, and, and this is the kind of help, you know, we need to really give our heart to asking God for help. Like it's, oh, help me, God. I'm going to fail again. <laughs> no, get passionate about asking God to help you. Um, you know, I've talked before about a parachute malfunction I had several years ago, and, and my parachute was spinning out of control, and I had to cut away and go to the second parachute, and and. I had one prayer to utter. It was really simple. Help me, Jesus! <laughs> and that's what this kind of prayer is. It's a help me, Jesus kind of prayer. Help me, because I need help. I need help to change, to, to overcome some of these things. In 2 Corinthians 1.9, Paul says it like this. He, he said he was going through some tough times. He said he was under so much pressure that he said, we despaired of even life itself. Paul's saying, I was so depressed. I was so discouraged. I was ready to give up on life. I felt like I was going to die. And then he says, whoops, verse is already there. We saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us. For he, even he, can raise the dead. He can raise the dead. He can raise the dead. Think about that. He can raise the dead. So if God can raise a dead person, can, can he raise a dead marriage? If God can raise a dead person, can he raise a dead career? If God can raise a dead person, can he raise a dead dream? Can he restore the love and romance in your marriage? Can God do miracles? We believe he can. Anybody can bring good out of good, but God brings good out of bad. He specializes in turning crucifixions into resurrections. That's what God does. So you humbly ask God for help. And please, don't wait until you hit rock bottom before you ask for help. You, you just can't do it on your own. You think you can, but you can't. You need God's help. Here's a really small, simple um, example. When I was young... I smoked a lot. <laughs> when I worked in radio especially, I smoked about two and a half packs of cigarettes a day. That's quite a bit. Uh, in these days in prices, that's about $400,000. I don't know, you know, something like that. And one time I quit smoking for six months. And all my friends were you know, excited. They were encouraging me. And we were sitting in a, in a pub one night, and I smoked one cigarette. 
And guess what? Within two days, I was back to smoking two and a half packs of cigarettes a day. That's like the power of sin in our lives, isn't it? And, and here's a good thing, though. I couldn't quit on my own. I tried many times. But it turned out that God is better than the patch. <laughs> Who'd have known that when I came to a relationship with Jesus, when I got saved, after that, I was able to quit and not even think much about it. Now, I know it doesn't work quite that way for everybody, but that's what happened to me. And I realized that this God that I'm just getting to know, he can, he can do anything in my life if I will just come to him. Well, there's a, a third thing after asking help from God, uh, that if you really want to be poor in spirit in the right way, and this is probably the hardest for many people, especially guys, I think, I must humbly accept help from others. Oh. Isn't that hard? Guys, isn't that hard? I, I love Tim Allen, love his old comedy routines, and I used to love his, his television shows. And, uh, you know, we try to power it through. You know, we don't need instructions. Real men don't need instructions. We just power it through. And we try to do it on our own. But, you know, that goes contrary to the way God wired us. God wired us in a way that we don't get healed and we don't get stronger by ourselves. Let me get really blunt here. You know that problem that you'd like to get rid of in your life? That temptation that's dragging you down? That defect, that fault, that fear, that worry, that loneliness, that attraction, whatever it is in your life that messes you up, you are never going to get rid of that on your own. It's just not going to happen. If you could you would. It is, works best when you are honest with other people, not just with God, but with other people. Why should I do that? Well, it humbles you. And God gives much grace to the humble. It's your pride that keeps you stuck. In Ecclesiastes, in chapter 4 and verse 9, it says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. A lot of us are in that category. A lot of us are in that category where we don't have anybody to help. Or at least we think we don't. You know, 58 times in the New Testament, it uses the phrase one another, love one another, care for one another, help one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, support one another, counsel one another, and we could go on and on. We are here to help one another out. That's why we have church. You were never, ever meant to face your problems or your sins by yourself. We need each other. God put it in us to need each other. We have a longing for belonging. We're not just believers, we're belongers. We belong to Jesus, and therefore we belong to one another and with one another. We're here to help each other out. And, and the fact is, we need each other to be healthy. 
Uh, I don't know if you've been reading the devotions through the week of prayer and fasting this past week. This morning's was, um, was the final one. Brian Hook, uh, he wrote the final devotional peak, piece, rather, and it's about belonging in the community of faith. And he reminds us that in Genesis 2, God says, it is not good for man, meaning human in that spot, it is not good for man to be alone. How did God fix that problem? He didn't pour more of himself into the problem, did he? Or into the situation. He created another human. That's why we need prayer partners and accountability partners and mentors and counselors and small groups and all of each other here. That's why God made more than one person. <laughs> Otherwise, he would have stuck with just one. James 5.16 says, Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's a confessing part of the sequence that helps us to be healed. There's that confiding in another person that finding that person that you can talk to and trust and share with. So we need to recognize that playing God in your life doesn't work. You need to humbly admit, I need help. You need to humbly ask God for help and then humbly accept help from others. Here's your homework assignment for the week. You know you're going to get homework this morning, right? I want you to memorize some scripture. Some of us are terrible at memorization, including me. But even I can do this one. Matthew 5.3 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You think you can memorize that? Awesome. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed, what unhealthy or out-of-balance thing is in your life right now? What needs changing? I want to invite you right now to join the rest of us as we, as we take these steps to get healthy again. Would, would you take this first step today? It might be the hardest one. It means being honest and facing up to an issue that maybe you've been afraid to face for a long, long time. Follow me in prayer. Dear God, I want to take the first choice of healing and spiritual health today. I, I realize that I'm not you, God. I realize that I've often tried to take control of my own problems and my pain and my, my image and even other people as if I were you. I'm sorry. I've tried to deny my problems by staying busy and keeping myself distracted. But Lord, I want to stop running. I admit that I'm helpless to control this tendency to do the things I know are unhealthy for me. Today, I'm asking for your help. I humbly ask you to take all of the pieces of this unmanageable life of mine and begin the process of healing. Lord, please heal me. Please give me the strength to choose help. Help me to stick with this through all the other choices to come.
In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.